God, thank you for already just a sweet time of worship. And God, we just want to spend time with you right now, God, to have a sweet time in your word. And God, Lord, may we taste and see that the Lord is good. May you move upon our hearts, God. May your word be to us our food, our very food, God, our spiritual food that we are so hungry for tonight. So I pray you would bless your word, God, that you would just be with us with your spirit and that you would speak to us. So I ask and I plead with you, God, anoint this time with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. We lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I read about a man named David Zentner and his wife. Now, they happened to be flying over their home in a Cessna 182. He's a pilot and he has a little plane. And they're flying over their home and they noticed a stranger in their driveway now. They're flying over and they notice a strange car, a truck. And that truck is making off with their trailer. Can you believe that? Uh, they followed the truck up in the air, contacted the police, and the robber was surprised on how he came to be arrested. How do you like that? The owners just happened to be flying over their home at the right place at the right time there. Years ago, I read another story. A woman named Dorothy Fletcher. Fletcher. She suffered a heart attack uh, on a flight to Orlando, Florida. Well, well, as she's in distress here, the flight attendant, just this classic movie kind of thing, called on the intercom and asked if there was any doctors on board to help her. Well, guess what? Fifteen cardiologists stood up. They were on their way to a conference. And you can imagine, she survived. I mean, how, how do you, you know, isn't that amazing? Help was there for her at the right place at the right time. I was thinking about this British evangelist, Smith Wigglesworth, kind of interesting last name, but he said this, if you seek nothing but the will of God, he will always put you in the right place at the right time. Well, tonight, as we continue our study here in the book of Acts, we find when the Ethiopian eunuch, he comes to get saved because, you know what? God puts Philip in the right place at the right time. So all this is really to introduce to you our title, The Right Place at the Right Time. That's our title for tonight. We're going to be studying Acts chapter 8 from verse 26 through 40. Verse 26 through 40, we're going to finish up the chapter as I mentioned here. And uh, we, we're going to see three things. I've broken our passage up into three sections. And this is our points also. So our three points, number one, is the servants heeding. Number two, the scripture reading. And number three, the Savior's leading. That's how you like that. I did a heeding, reading, leading thing <laughs> just for fun. I know you guys like that. So... Let's begin here. Number one, the, the servant's heating. The servant's heating. Now, here in this section, we're going to be looking at verse 26 and 27a, just the first part. But let's read that now. Beginning at Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Verse 27. And he rose and went. And we'll stop right there. While we begin here now in verse 26, this angel of the Lord came to Philip. Uh, the angel instructs Philip to leave Samaria. That's where he's at now. And to go to this desert place. Now last week we saw the Samaritan revival. You remember that was our title. Persecution broke out in Jerusalem, right? The, uh, uh, the whole city, the Jewish religious leaders were really heavy and hostile toward the believers in Jerusalem. So people were scattered. Believers were scattered. But what was meant for evil, God used it for good, as I mentioned. And it spread the gospel. If you remember uh, in verse 4 of chapter 8, it says, Now those who were scattered went about, what? 
preaching the word, sharing the gospel, the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel started going out, which was to fulfill really what Jesus had uh, told them, that when they're baptized with the Spirit in Acts 1-8, that there will be witnesses for him in Jerusalem, Judea, like the surrounding area, Samaria, past that, and out into the ends of the earth. So the persecution actually ushered in fulfilling what Christ had asked them to do. And so they're going out now preaching Jesus. And then we saw last time at the beginning of chapter 8 that Luke now writes, give the account of Philip as an example. What happened as the believers went out? Well, he's like, listen to what happened with Philip. Philip went to Samaria. And if you remember, Samaria was the Hapa race, the half-Jew, half-Gentile, back in the time when the Assyrians had taken over the northern kingdom and they had intermarried. And Samaria was actually the capital of the northern kingdom. But here's the Samaritans. They had their own way of worship, own place of worship. But the pure Jews despised these guys. These were low in their eyes, low in society in Jewish eyes. But God sends Philip there to share Jesus Christ. So not only do we see that the Jews in Jerusalem are getting saved, but the Samaritans are now being saved in Christ Jesus also. And so this Samaritan revival, this revival breaks out. So we read how God used Philip in a mighty way to bring about this revival, to bring Jesus Christ into this area. Now, when we mention Philip here, the angel of the Lord comes to Philip. Remember, Philip is one of the seven that was chosen to help in the administration of the early church. So the apostles could attend to prayer and preaching of the word. These guys were taking care of the distribution to the widows and the needy, and they're part of the administration. And remember, we, we, we read about Stephen and how uh, he, we, it was highlighted about him back in Acts chapter 7. And now Philip is, is also one of those seven that was chosen. And now he goes out, he becomes powerful in the Spirit of God. He becomes this powerful missionary, you can say, for Jesus as he goes into Samaria. And we read last week how God used him to heal people, cast out demons, but most importantly, many were saved in Samaria because of his ministry. Well, in the middle of this huge revival, this great revival that's going on. Remember even Peter and John came to see what's going on, prayed for the baptism of the Spirit upon the Samaritans. Well, in the middle of this huge revival, God sends this angel to Philip with a message. And it's a message for Philip to leave. Now, take note here. God didn't use this angel to spread the gospel. He could have. He could have spread the good news with the angel. But that's not how God works. He uses ordinary people who have come in contact with the person of Jesus Christ in salvation. And so God uses us in that way. And, and so listen, God, as we get into this passage, what I want to put into your minds is God wants to use you and I to share Jesus Christ. Not angels, not some voice from heaven, not some track falling down from God, from heaven to people, but ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to put that in your minds because we can think, well, I'm not a Philip, but you know what? We can be, when we're filled with the Spirit, we can be empowered to do God's will. So as we come into this section now, we see this angel of the Lord comes to Philip. So the Lord tells Philip now to get up. And basically in verse 26, rise, get up, and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Go to this desert place. It's, it's a road in the middle of nowhere. Now, you, you guys probably heard in the news, right? We hear it all the time in the news, the Gaza Strip in Israel. Well, back then, that was the same area, Gaza. Uh, it's an area in Israel. It's actually the old Philistine uh, country back in the Old Testament. So from where Philip was, 
Uh, in Samaria, he was to go from Samaria, which is north of Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem, and then head toward Gaza. And on that road between Jerusalem and Gaza, which is to the south there, he is to uh, go into this desert road, this desert place, basically in the middle of nowhere. But understand this. Now, when this angel comes, when the Lord speaks to uh, Philip to ask him to go down there, he has to go from Samaria to Jerusalem, from north to south there. Uh, and that's like 40 miles. Now, from Jerusalem to Gaza is like 20 miles. So I'm just kind of guessing maybe he's going to go, say, 50 miles. But still, it's a long trek. If you think about it in ancient times, this is going to be a, a long journey for him. I mean, there's, there's no cars. He has to walk. There's not like a bike or anything like that. There's, there's no bus or airplane that he can take. He's, he's walking this whole time. And so this is going to be a trek that he's going to have to walk all the way. So I'm just setting up this scene to you to understand something here. When God calls Philip to leave Samaria and go down to this desert road. You know, I was thinking about when Pastor... Tom and Joanna were at our house last summer, and uh, they're visiting and staying at our house. And one day they're like, "Oh, we're, we're gonna go food land and pick up some things." I said, "Well, I'll I'll drive you. I mean, it's it's like a minute, you know, to drive, but maybe it's I don't know what would it be half mile, maybe a quarter to half mile to to walk there." Uh, but they're saying, "No, no, we we want to walk. We want to walk." Now it's one thing to walk maybe a half half a mile, but fifty miles. Or so? I mean, that's kind of crazy. Pastor Stephen just got back from the half marathon, right? That was 13 miles. And what was your time? Like five days? No, just joking. Three hours, 40, huh? Four days. Four days, okay, yeah, yeah, something like that, huh? <laughs> he finally finished. <laughs> but anyway, um, I mean, think about that, right? Half marathon, 13 miles. But this is like 50 miles, say. I mean, I wouldn't do that. It's like, what? That's a long time. I mean, I would wonder, right? Here's this angel that shows up and and tells Philip, okay, go to Jerusalem, you know, down to Gaza, hit that road between. And Philip's familiar. It's a trade route and everything. And I'm sure, I mean, for me, if I was there, I'd be like, what? What What are you telling me? You know, maybe we might say, excuse me? Can, Can I hear this again? What? Go to a deserted road? Can't you see what's going on? There's a revival going on. There's things happening. People are coming to the Lord. There's ministry to be done. And I'm going in the middle of nowhere? What? Wait, whose angel are you from? Right? You would kind of wonder, wait, are you from the other side? You know, you're not from the other guy's, you know, uh, uh, force, right? But, no, here's, here's, here's what's told Philip from this angel, from the Lord, to leave Samaria. What there's revival going on, go maybe 50 miles journey, yeah, right at that time. But what do we see in verse 27? Well, he protested, no? He rose, he got up, and what? He went. And I would say he went immediately. Now, here, these one, two, three, four, five words in verse first. The first five words in verse 27, we don't see like he questioned the angel. Wait, are you sure? There was no inquiry to, and well, what are we going to do down there? Right? Well, we don't read in verse 26, there's instructions. Well, you know, when you get down there, you're going to meet this Ethiopian guy and all this stuff. He has no clue. It's just this angel shows up, though. Hey, Lord, got a message for you. And what did he do? He rose and he went. He went immediately. He didn't ask, like, well, um, is there another option here? <laughs> yeah. He, he didn't, like, well, how about, like, provision? I mean, where am I going to get my food? How about accommodations? Is there, like, a hotel along the way? Or You know, none of that. I love Philip's heart, don't you? Don't you? I mean, here the angel goes, all this stuff is going on, what we read earlier, or what I talked about, we studied last week, this revival. This angel says, now go. Wait, wait, but how about this? 
How about all this? This is the happening place. But I love Philip's heart. He just goes. says he went. The Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson says, Be obedient even when you do not know where obedience may lead you. Isn't that good? We don't know. I mean, the only instructions he got was the first step. Well, God, what's the second step? Well, what's the end goal here? You know, God, why, why, I, I want to see. Yeah, Why? Because we, we, we don't like the unknown, right? We don't like going, stepping into the unknown where no man has gone before. Yeah? Some people are more braver than me, but I want to know what's on the other side. What's, what's over there in that desert place? What on that desert road? Yeah, well, what's going on on that deserted place? But I like that. We got to be obedient, even when we do not know where it's going to lead us. Where obedience will lead us, even when we only know step one. And if God is telling us, we got to go. So here's what we see: the servants heeding. The servants heeding is how, with unquestionable obedience, you know what, Philip went. He's a true servant of God. He's heeding what God has told him. He was, this is unquestionable obedience. Don't you love that heart? I don't know, it speaks to my heart. I mean, for me, it's more like conditions. Like, well, God, well, maybe I'll go if you let me in a little more, you know. Because um, it, it's scary. It can be like, ooh, my insecurity kicks in like, oh, I don't know, you know. A fear may kick in, nervousness, worry. But Philip, no. He's like, he heeds what the Lord says. And this is this servant, a true servant, the servant's heeding. Unquestionable obedience when Philip just went, as we see in verse 27. You know, turn over to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And I want you to see verse 8 and 9 here. Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9. Psalm 32. Verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. The old King James says, I will guide you with my eye. I love that. That just by God's eyes, we can get instruction and go. In verse 9, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. In other words, we got to be willing to do whatever God asks us to do. And wherever He guides us, we shouldn't be forced. We should be like just waiting for whatever instructions God wants to give us. And you know what? This is Philip. He's a true servant of God. It's not about, oh, look, uh, uh, look what's going on. God, you're using me here. Look, all people excited here. Uh, like what I want, what I think. But it's about, okay, God, wherever you want me to go, I'm ready to go. And that's Philip here. How about you? Would we, are we like Philip in our heart? Like ready to just drop everything and go? Head to this desert road and not even know why God wants us to go there. God, why you let me go there? I mean, even when it, it, it doesn't seem logical, yeah, like, Lord, there's so much going on here. You, you could use me here. There's some other villages and towns I could go to. It didn't matter to him. You know what mattered? It's obedience. Obedience to the Lord. And I'll tell you guys, that's what success is. We may look at Philip going, wow, your ministry is just blooming there. Wow, look how fruitful. Look, oh, wow, that, that's so awesome, you know. But, and you could think, wow, he's so successful. Why would God pull, pull him out of there? But that's not really the definition for success before the Lord. You know what it is? What success is before the Lord? Obedience. Obedience. No matter. There's a lot of people. There's hardly any people. Uh, whatever's going. It's just being obedient to the Lord. And that's Philip. 
And see how God gave him, like, just step one. And not step two also. All he had was, hey, Philip, from the Lord, be obedient to step one. That's it. And here's Philip. Here I go. I guess in a way, I think about it this way. What is my life? Who does it belong to? Jesus. He bought my life with his own life, right? I belong to him. I'm surrendered to him. It's not my will anymore. It's God's will. And if it's God's will to just take step one without knowing what step two is or step three or the end goal, that's up to him. That's God. God, you just tell me where to go, what to do. And when you're ready, you can give me step two. That's what it's about. The pioneer missionary to Africa in the 1800s, David Livingston, was once asked, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to send, send other men to join you. Livingston replied, If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. How about us? Do we put those conditions before the Lord? Well, God, I'll... I'll I'll go share Jesus if this, this, and this. What if God says, no, I just want you to go anyway? Are we willing to lay ourselves down, to lay our will down in full, full obedience, total obedience to the Lord and what he's calling us to do? So this is how really you are brought to the right place at the right time. And that's what we're going to see here. So number one, we see the servants heeding. Now we come to number two, the scriptures, the scripture reading, the scripture reading. And uh, we're going to look at verse 27, the second part, 27b, all the way to verse 38 in this section. But first of all, the second part of verse 27 to the first part of verse 30, that's what I want you to see. Take a look, verse 27, I'll back up a little bit. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, verse 28, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. And we'll stop right there. So when we come into the second part of verse 27, Philip went. It's between uh, went and and the word and. There's a space of time because he traveled all the way. So now he's on that road in in, uh, that desert place at the end of verse 26. So he's in that area between Jerusalem and Gaza now, in that desert place. And there he runs into this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, uh, back then in the ancient time, Ethiopian was uh, like the northern um, area of Africa. It was like um, south of Egypt. And it was, it was a kingdom. It was a vast kingdom back then. And so here's this guy, this Ethiopian, a eunuch. He was castrated. Uh, you can tell he was uh, uh, served the king and queen there. And a lot of times the servants there and high officials, they were, they were eunuchs. Um, they, that, so they won't mess with the wives of, of the, the harem or the wives of the, of the king. But So usually these high officials serving the king, around the king, under the king, they, they were eunuchs like this guy. And they can rise to a higher position like this guy. Now, he was a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians. So what we know is, is the, the king back then of Ethiopia was considered like a god. And so because he had such a high position, he w- basically didn't, they didn't want him to do work or he didn't want to do a lot of work. So the queen mother, uh, she would actually take care of all the administrative things and all that. And so this eunuch was, was working for her, the queen mother, queen of Ethiopians, 
Candace is not her name, but it's a title. It basically means queen mother. So Candace, the queen of Ethiopian. So that's, it's basically more like a, a title of their position, like king or Caesar or something like this. So back then, Candace. So, so anyway, so this Ethiopian eunuch worked for Candace, and he was in charge of her, her treasure. Basically, he was the finance guy. He was the CFO. He was the one who, who, who oversaw all the finances in this whole kingdom of Ethiopia. So you can imagine this guy was, was high up there. Yeah, he was the treasurer guy. And um, he, he had position. He had um, money, wealth. He had honor. So, so this guy was a very important person. Now, he, verse 27 tells us that he had come to Jerusalem, not for business, but to worship. And that's interesting. He came to worship where? At the temple, at the Jewish temple, to worship God. So he was probably not a proselyte. There were Jewish proselytes. And to be like, that's a Gentile person becoming a Jew in the sense of they want to worship that uh, uh, they want to get into Judaism and worship God like the Jews do. But in order to do, do that, you'd be circumcised. But he was a eunuch. So most likely, he was what, is, what they call a God-fearing Gentile, uh, meaning that he wasn't castrated, but he still was uh, converted to Judaism and wanted to worship the true God. So here he is. He had just come from Jerusalem. He's heading back to Ethiopia via Gaza on this road now. He's between Jerusalem and Gaza, and Philip meets him there. And so he, he, he's, he's on his way now back home. Now, let me say this. From the passage, it's going to show us that we get this feeling that he was empty. He was empty inside. I mean, he just came from the Jewish temple. And so it just tells you that religion or ritualism, we can say, it cannot fulfill that desire for more of God. It cannot. It's still that emptiness. And we're going to see that unfold uh, in front of us. So he went to Jerusalem, but he's returning empty. He's returning empty. So... He was returning, seated in his chariot, right? He's a high makamaka kind of guy. And look at verse 28. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. So that meant he had his own scroll. Back then, there's no like books or Bibles. There was nothing like that uh, till later. Everything was scrolls, handwritten and everything. And, and even uh, this day, they found Dead Sea Scrolls, the old scrolls and everything. But anyway... Uh, he has his own scroll, and that even shows his wealth because they're they're very expensive, very hard to come by. But you can show it shows his heart. You can see his heart that no, he wanted to know God. He want he believed in this true God of the Jews. Yet he's still kind of empty, and so he has this scroll of Isaiah, which is amazing to me. And then so verse 29, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So here's Philip. He made his way down past Jerusalem. He's on this desert road. And perhaps this this chariot is is coming by or, or, you know, maybe about to pass him or or maybe it went by. And maybe it went by him and the spirit says, hey, that's it. Go over there. Now, isn't that interesting? He knew step one. The Lord told him step one, just get to that place. And when the Ethiopian was there, and the Spirit then gave him step two. What was step two? Go over and join his chariot. So here's Philip right away going over. And then look, verse 30. So Philip ran to him. Don't you love that? I like that. Philip wasn't like, are you sure, Lord? He wasn't saying that. He was like, Lord, do you know who that guy is? I, why would he want to talk to me? Yeah. He, he, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't even say, we don't read here in verse 30, Lord, um, what am I going to say to him? Yeah. I don't know what to say. It was none of that. 
And of course, we know with Philip, he was already sharing in Samaria. So he had in his heart, he was ready to share. And I'll tell you, we should be ready to share. I believe all the, the apostles and those who went out and those we're going to read about, and Philip and Stephen, they were, remember Stephen in his, his, his message before the, the Sanhedrin? He was ready to share. We should be ready in our heart, even bursting at the seams to want to share Jesus. So here's Philip. He didn't walk to him. He ran. He ran. And so you see, right here, God put Philip right there, the right place at the right time. That was God. That was the Holy Spirit. That was God's timing. And you know what? I believe this was the Lord answering the Ethiopian eunuch's prayer. He wanted God. He really wanted to be close. He's reading Isaiah. I mean, he's, he's traveling. What does he do? He pulls out scripture. You know, a lot of times when we travel, right, when we go to Japan or wherever you travel, if you're on a flight, I, I bring my Bible, right? We, I bring my phone. We read scripture. So think about this guy. He's seeking God. You know, it makes me think about Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And this is the Ethiopian. I believe he's seeking God with all his heart. He wants more. And you know what? God answers his prayer. You know how? By sending Philip all the way from Samaria over here to get him to this right place at the right time. So then look at verse the rest of verse 30 through 35. So Philip ran to him, verse 30, and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture, verse 32, that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. This is amazing. Don't you just love it? This is, this is God setting things up so Philip would be at the right place at the right time. And when he comes there, when the Spirit says, go over there, and when Philip goes there, he hears now, he just uh, hears the eunuch reading Isaiah, reading the scroll here. He just, quote, unquote, happens, right? The eunuch happens, just happens to be reading Isaiah. And what, what he was looking at, his quote is Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8. I mean, that's the Lord right there. And I love it. So Philip's like, hey, you understand what's going on? And Philip, I mean, and the eunuch is like, how can I unless someone helps me, guides me, teaches me? And, and then the uh, eunuch Invites Philip, hey, come, come sit in my chair. Come with me as we travel. We'll talk. What an open door that is. God set it all up. God knew the heart of this unit, brought Philip, knowing there's good, you know, God will use Philip to, to go there and the door will be open to be able to witness to this eunuch. I, I love that. And so, the passage, right, verse 32, Isaiah 53, like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shear was silent, so he opened on his mouth. So really it talks about how Jesus, right, in his innocence, he didn't protest. He didn't, he didn't, he just stayed quiet, took all the beatings, uh, took all the sufferings, uh, um, took it all, and in humility, uh, it says justice was denied him. He was unjustly put to death, right? Uh, his life was taken away. What's it talking about? We know, Isaiah 53, the suffering and death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And so then the door opens more. The eunuch's like, well, who's he talking about? Himself or someone else? Oh, let me tell you, right? The door is wide open. The eunuch is totally interested, wants to know what's going on. And God brought this true servant, this special servant, for this reason, to be able to share Jesus Christ with him. How incredible is that? How incredible, God, through the Holy Spirit, the timing of it all, the, the, how it came together. Could you imagine? Could you imagine how Philip felt? I mean, in his obedience, unquestionable obedience, he's like, okay, step one, okay, I'm going away. Oh, step two, there's, there's a chariot. Did he know what was going on? No. Well, what's going to happen after that? I don't think so. But then when the eunuch was reading Isaiah whole things, I bet you his mind is going, whoa, Lord, I see it now. And when the eunuch said, hey, come up, can you help me understand this? Who's he talking about? Oh, it all came together in this step three, right? When, when right then and there, uh, he saw for himself out of the mouth of the eunuch that the eunuch wanted to know more. How exciting it must have been for Philip to be, to be part of God working here. God was working in the eunuch already, right? He already had the scripture in front of him. God, God was already, already moving here, and, and Philip got to come and be a part of that and be used by the Lord. The missionary David Brannard uh, to the American Indians, um, the American natives, he said this, I cared not where or how I lived, or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls to Christ. Now, I quote that to you because I feel like that's Philip's heart. He didn't care where God took him, desert, Samaria. I mean, think about him ending up in Samaria anyway. I mean, as a Jew, Jewish person, he, he grew up like, oh, Samaritans, they're no good. But he ended up there. I'm sure God brought him there through the Holy Spirit. And now he's here in the desert. And now with this Ethiopian, I think this is amazing, amazing. Philip's heart and how God is using him. So verse 36 now. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water. Philip and the eunuch, and he, Philip, baptized him. So on hearing the gospel now, verse 35, the eunuch then saw this body of water and said, Hey, hey I, I want to get baptized. Can I get baptized? What's stopping me? I, in other words, he said, I, I believe in this. Now, I feel that Philip probably told him, Look, you got to repent of your sins. you got to believe in Christ and be baptized, water baptized. And we see that in the book of Acts in many of the evangelistic um, uh, uh, sermons or messages that we have read. Peter said that. And so I'm sure Philip was saying that too. And so even though we don't see it written, I'm, I'm assuming when he shared the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that was part of it. And so that's why the eunuch's like, oh, I, I believe I, I now I want to be baptized. I believe that's what was going on here, and that's why he's all excited about being baptized. And then they stopped, and Philip was able to water baptize him. Now, notice something here. I'm reading out of the ESV. Uh, and this is the same with other modern translations, meaning recent translations maybe since the 2000s. I don't know if you notice this. It goes from verse 36, and then the next verse is 38. Do you guys see that? Who has ESV? It's kind of like, uh-oh, there's a typo here. Uh, maybe chapter 8 should only have 39 verses at the end, not 40, right? But no, this is intentional. Uh, the ESV uh, translators uh, decided to just... Um, reflect and kind of uh, go with uh, the, the other translations that, um, that end with verse 40. But what they've done is that they've taken out verse 37. Now, 
if you notice, it does go 36, 38. Well, verse 37, like in the New King James, it talks about how Philip then answers the eunuch when he says, well, what's keeping me from being baptized? Philip's like, well, if you believe with all your heart, you, you may be baptized. And, and uh, the Ethiopian in verse, this verse 37 saying in New King James says, well, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, why it's not in the ESV or like the NLT or more of these modern translations is because the older Greek manuscripts do not have that verse 37 in there. Now, what happened was the New King James, uh, which is based on the Old King James, which was based on certain Greek manuscripts that they had back then. Uh, back in the, I think it was, trying to say in the 1600s. Well, you know what? Um, since that time, uh, archaeologists and scholars, they have uh, found older Greek manuscripts that they didn't have back then, say when the Old King James or the New King James, basically uh, New King James based on, um, they didn't have these older ones that didn't have verse 37. And the older ones being closer to the original, which there's no originals, it's all copies, but it's closer to when it was originally written, are considered more accurate than the later ones. So I don't know if that makes sense. But the modern translations are based on these older manuscripts, which have been more recently discovered, which are considered more accurate to the originals from when they were first written. So I hope that makes sense. That's why that verse is not in there. And in an ESV, it skips verse 36 and 38. But either way, if it's in there or not, um, it doesn't change doctrine. It doesn't change anything. It's most likely the monk or the copier was writing it, thought, well, I'm going to add this to like a commentary, like a note in your Bible to make it a little clearer what's going on. So either way, the idea is this Ethiopian eunuch did believe in Jesus Christ. He did believe, and that's why he's like, oh, I want to be baptized. I, I do believe. And, and as I mentioned, like in the other sermon, say, of Peter, saying, well, you got to believe, you got to repent, believe, and, and then be water baptized, that most likely Philip said that. So the Ethiopian eunuch did believe, and, and so that's why he had a desire to even be baptized. Now, before we go on, I want to mention this too, that water baptism doesn't save you. Uh, it's important to understand. Some, some might look at this saying, oh, see, water baptism is part of salvation, but, but, but it isn't. It's important for believers. Uh, Jesus, in his commission to the disciples, said that we should be water baptized, but it wasn't for salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, right? Not of works, like water baptism. Uh, it's a gift of God. If you remember Jesus, when he turned to the thief on the cross and, and, and um, told him, uh, when the thief said, you know, remember me when you go into par- paradise, in other words, he believed in Christ. Christ said, well, you're, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, sorry, I can't water baptize you. I'm on the cross right now. You know, too bad. No, he didn't say that. Paul himself in his writings say, you know, I, I, I didn't baptize that many people. And if water baptism was important to salvation, I think Paul would have been one of those who were baptizing every person that he could. So we understand biblically that it, it, it is not a part of salvation uh, as far as getting you saved. But it is something you do after salvation. And let me just quickly give you uh, water baptism really is for three things. Three things. And that is, number one, it's a public testimony. It's like an altar call. It's like going forward, showing the public. I mean, to walk down in the water, get dunked in the water uh, in front of the whole world and everyone. You know what? It, 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 you have to make that choice. It's a public testimony of your commitment to God. So that's one reason for water baptism. A second reason is 
water baptism is a personal symbol for you. In Romans 6, it talks about that we, we, we identify with Christ when we come to believe. We die with Christ, our old flesh dies, or our old flesh is buried with Christ, and then we rise up again in a new life as a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17. So it's a personal symbol for us. It's for us. It's, it's like a, 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 a personal symbol of how we, how a picture of how, yeah, when we believe in Christ, we went under the water, we were buried, and we come up all new and clean of our sins. And then thirdly, it's a point to remember. It's a public testimony, personal symbol, and thirdly, a point to remember. And I believe it's something that you can look back on, like a bookmark in your life, say, I was water baptized. I, God brought me to this point in my life where I believed in him, was saved, and got water baptized. And, you know, I know I'm in God. I am Christ. I'm a child of God. So that's just a short uh, uh, idea of what water baptism is. It's those three things. So keep that in mind. I'm hoping this year, maybe in June, maybe we'll do a water baptism and uh, those of you thinking about it will we'll be able to fulfill what Christ has asked us to do. Alright, so here is the Ethiopian unit. And overall, here's what I want you to see. The scripture reading, right, all led to the Ethiopian eunuch to come to be saved. He had the scroll right there. He was reading it. When Philip came, he, he could hear him reading that. It was the scripture reading. It was from the scripture that this Ethiopian eunuch came to be saved. That's how he came to be saved. You know what I think about is Romans ten seventeen. It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing the word of God. Listen, the power is in the Word because it's God speaking to us through the Word. And so it's important that you and I, we share the Word. We share the truth of Jesus Christ. We share what the Word tells us about what salvation is and why He died on the cross. We do our best to incorporate Scripture because the power is in the Word. When we share Jesus, the power is in the Word. And it's through the Holy Spirit, through the timing of the Spirit. And let me say this. You know, the power's not in you. We cannot save anybody. It's God who saves, and it's through the Word of God. It's through the Holy Spirit empowering us to give the Word of God, the truth of God. So don't sit there like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. No, let God use you as a tool for, for bringing the gospel to people. That, that's Philip. That's his servant's heart. He, wherever you want me to go, Lord, I'm your tool. I am, I'm not going to tell you what to do. No, it's up to you. You're the master. I'm the tool. You know, I think about those guys who sculpture wood and they have special chisels and all different kind of funny-looking metal things and stuff and, and, and knives and carving and they, they little hammer and they... They, they carve out and shape this masterpiece, right? Well, think about this. You and I are those tools of God. We're kind of funny looking. No, <laughs> you know, but he uses us, yeah? We're the ones that want to be useful for the master's work, right? Um, I think 2 Timothy 2.20, I think it was, where we want to be those vessels of honor. Paul talks about that we can be used of the Lord, so let us be those tools of God. So put in your mind right now, the power is in the word, not you. God wants to use you and use your life, right? We, 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 we're people who come in contact with, with the person of Jesus Christ in salvation. So God wants to use us as a testimony, as a witness that we know what it's like to be saved. And with the word of God, God can use us powerfully. He wants to send us as his tools. It's like Romans ten fifteen says, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God wants to use your beautiful feet to bring the gospel to others. God wants to use you as a tool, 
And, it, and, and with the word of God, the scripture reading, we can, the power's in there, with the truth's in there, we can bring Christ to this world. And let me say this, as we're looking at Philip here, understand, God wants to use you in the right place at the right time. If we just be open and willing and follow the Spirit. All right, number one, the servant's heeding. Number two, the scripture reading. And number three, the Savior's leading. And this is our last part, the Savior's leading. Uh, Verse 39 and 40, our last two verses here in this chapter. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now this is so interesting, isn't this? Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, he brought you know, the eunuch out of the water, then all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, carried Philip away. A miracle happened right in front of the eunuch's eyes. Basically, Philip was like caught away. The word here is the same thing that talks about the rapture in Thessalonians, where he was caught up, and we'll be caught up in the clouds, right? We'll be caught up. This miracle happened. Poof, Philip was gone. And I can imagine the Ethiopian eunuch going, whoa. Like this just put a stamp on God. This is you. God, I was seeking you. You sent this guy who happened to be here, who knows what the scripture means, who knows how I can be saved. You brought him to bring the message, and I was saved. I was baptized. And no wonder he's rejoicing at the end of verse 39. And then verse 40, where did Philip end up? Well, he ended up in Azotos. That's north of Gaza. It's near the Mediterranean coast, and it's 20 miles away from Gaza. So it's kind of like, poof, he was transported. He was Star Trek, beam me up Scotty, you know, by the Lord. And he's there all of a sudden. And then we find that he passed through um, he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He settled there. Later we're going to see in Acts 21 that that's where he settled. But on the way from this town, he, he, he went from town to town still preaching Jesus Christ. God continued to use Philip to share Jesus and bring people to salvation. Now, perhaps God took him away for some urgent need, because maybe someone else in Azotos needed to hear Christ, right? Maybe it's like, no, you walk too slow, I'm going to bring you there right now. (laughs) You know, maybe. I don't know. Perhaps it was good for the eunuch to, to, to see that, oh, put a stamp that this is God who really did this. And, and, and I think, too, I'm sure it was Philip's prayer anyway, that he, he wanted to be used of Christ. And he, he didn't want the eunuch to look up to him or idolize him. Once he came to Christ, he's out of there. He's going and preaching Jesus to different people. And I, I think that's Philip anyway, as a true servant of God, as, as one who, um, uh, I want to be a tool for you. It, it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus Christ. And you know what? Evangelism should be about the Savior, not the evangelist. And so that goes along with with you and I. We can do this. It's not about us. So this is the Savior's leading in that he had Philip continue to lead people to Jesus. So he just took him, kept taking him. This is the Savior's leading. And and, and he had Philip continue to, and I'm thinking about it this way, lead people to Jesus not himself. I came across this hymn writer, Kate B. Wilkinson, and she wrote this. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only him. I love that. So let me say this again. Put out of your mind now that, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, I, I can't do this. I can't share Jesus. It's not about you. Or what you can or cannot do. It's about sharing your Savior. Sharing what God has done for you. Sharing about the Lord Jesus. Remember, it's not your ability. It's your availability. God wants to use you. 
who you are, what Christ has done in you. So be prepared with the word. Be prepared. Have it in your heart. Understand what has happened in your life. How did you come to the Lord? I think it's very, very important. And, 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 and keep this mindset. Start keeping this mindset. Put it into your, your mind. I'm just a tool. God, what do you want me to do? A Canadian preacher and theologian, A.B. Simpson, said this. God is preparing his heroes. When the opportunity comes, he can fit them into their places in a moment, and the world will wonder where they came from. That's Philip. Poof, with the, for the Ethiopian. Where did, where did this guy come from, right? He didn't know him. The Ethiopian's this high guy, and then here's just this Jewish person. Amazing. I believe God is preparing you and I. And he's placing you or getting ready to place you just in the right place so he can use you. He's preparing you for his future plan. And perhaps you're in that right now. Perhaps you're in a situation right now that God wants to use you as his instrument, his tool to bring someone closer to Christ, to bring someone to salvation in Christ. Cement that into your heart. Put it into your mind today. Think about this. As Mordecai told Esther, right? In Esther 4.14, we know that. Right? Esther's like, oh, I don't know. But Mordecai said, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's you and I, too. That was Philip here. I'm sure Philip continued to have more divine appointments. I'm sure God used him in many ways because he was submitted to God. Perhaps there was other times he was transported, you know, even because there was an emergency. Someone really needed Jesus. The pressing ones there. Let us be available to God too at any time. I'll close with this. A a woman from uh, Ohio actually wrote this account, and I'll close with this. She said, several years ago, my tire went flat while I was driving with my young son asleep in the back seat. It was a heavily traveled road, so I pulled over. I looked in my rearview mirror and saw that a man had pulled up behind me. He offered to help. As he installed the spare tire, we talked. He explained that he was from a long distance away. His face was kind. His voice was gentle. My son awoke, and I went to care for him. When I looked back, the man was gone. Then she writes, Do angels walk the earth? I believe they do. Maybe it was an angel. Maybe it was like Philip, someone who got who was brought there, then transported. I don't know. I don't know. Let's be ready to serve the Lord wherever, in whatever way, whenever, however God wills. Let's always be ready for God to put us where? In the right place at the right time. Let's pray. God, I'm so encouraged in this message, Lord. I may not be a Philip or Stephen, but... God, I, I want to. I love his heart, God. It, it stirs my heart. It, it, it's attractive to me, Lord, this kind of heart. And I believe it is for all of us because your spirit is speaking to us that we would be available and not worry about the, the ability, but our availability. God, help us to be filled with your spirit, to not grieve your spirit. Help us to prepare Lord, our hearts and our mind to share Jesus using your word, understanding what you have done in our life, that, God, you sent your son. You love the world so much. You gave your only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Even just that, God, we can share with our heart because that's what you've done for us that you forgive us when we repent, that you change our lives, that we're new creation, Second Corinthians 
5.17 says, Lord, just help us to share these truths that someone may come to you and be saved. God, Lord, maybe we're in a situation that you placed us in because as it was with Esther, it was for such a time as this. So, Lord, our, our minds, God, have to be open to you and our hearts ready, Lord, to, to just share and not think about ourselves, but think of the one who is, who is perishing, the one who is in bondage of their sin and need freedom, the one who is holding, uh, is under the burden of guilt and sin, and, and they're, they're hurting right now. And we have that answer, God, may we see things that way and stop looking at ourselves, but have compassion on others and be willing to do whatever it takes to go wherever you want us to, Lord, to be used by you as your tool to bring a person to Jesus Christ. And God, I also want to pray for anyone here or anyone online that perhaps never has accepted you that this is the time, the moment to come to you and to be saved. Lord, touch them now. Touch our hearts now as we worship you. God, here we are, surrendered to you. Help us, Lord, get past ourselves. Heal us of our, of our ailments. And help us, Lord, to just see you and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.